Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, June 19th, 2022. Hey everybody, I'm John Vanderbilt. And I'm Killer Brady, and this is the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, Kelly's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Out of the gate. Ready to go. <laughs> no banter. First question. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? <laughs> It was good. I ate steak last night for Father's Day. It's really yummy. Nice. I, I'll have steak for lunch probably too. Wow. Did you, did you grill out? Yep. 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 What do y'all do? Um, well, yesterday was also Jennifer's birthday, so we oh. celebrated that a little bit, celebrated a little bit today, um, opened some gifts. Fun. The kids got me a really cool, um, really cool gift. It's one of those little books. That's like what I love about dad. It's like 50 pages. Each page is a new, is a different question oh, yeah. or a different, like you fill it out. Yeah. Dad, I love th- this when you do this or whatever. And so each kid had an answer on every page. It's really, it was really oh, nice. sweet. That's cool. And our youngest answers were hilarious at some, <laughs> sometimes because some of the questions are beyond him. Right. Know, sure. Five. So, but that was good. It was good. Got a fire table. A fire table. Yeah, got a new fire table, like one of those propane. Oh, oh, oh with yeah. the fire like, in the middle of the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have an issue with we can't do smoke in our house or you know outside. Yeah. So this is burnt runs on propane. Yeah, nice. the funny thing is, I've never had a. I don't know. I knew zero about propane until the last week. Yeah. Like I didn't really know what it was or what. No, just like <laughs> I, how do I? I always see the <laughs> the, the tanks the tanks in yeah. front of the stores, but what do you? Do you not grill? We, no, we never grill. No, because oh. we eat a plant-based diet, so we don't. Oh, yeah. We never do. I grill plants. <laughs> you grill plants. Yeah, <laughs> zucchini on a grill. Oh, yeah, yeah. But with Peppers. with your meat though, like I mean, yeah. you're just not going to go out and grill vegetables. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. Yeah. So I I didn't know anything about it. It's a fascinating new world I've been opened up to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like it's really a world. I no, think it's the fire table. <laughs> well, you see the propane tanks every time you go into a store. And you, you are thoroughly suburban. <laughs> Change it out. That thing Make cranks sure out back- heat. Make sure you have a backup in your uh, garage. Yep. No, I don't need a backup. I mean, if you're grilling, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Like that your dinner. Yeah, we ran out yesterday while steaks were on yeah, the grill, baby. The worst. Really? Yeah. Just yeah. takes five seconds to swap it out. You, yeah, can, yeah. you keep a backup in your garage. Oh, yeah. 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 I could see that, but not for the fire table. <laughs> the worst <laughs> is when you think that the backup in the garage is ready. Is ready, and it's actually the empty one that you have <laughs> that forgotten you over the last like month to go back and exchange. Oh, I got a backup in the garage. And, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised at how, I didn't know how long it lasts. I'm like, what do you change a tank out once a year? Is it once a week? Is it once a month? Like, it runs out pretty quickly, doesn't it? I don't know. How big, your, how big no. is your fire like a table? 20, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> a 20 gallon tank. It's no, it lasts. Yeah. Have you already run through it? You have a no, week. no, 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 no. I was just reading. I was reading about the fire it. tables forty feet. And I was long. asking. <laughs> uh, no, and I was asking. I was reading about it, and I was asking some folks, just like, how do you? How often do you change out? Like, I don't know. The hardest thing is you really never know if your tank's about to go. I mean. Kinda, you can know. You get to where you can tell by the weight, the weight of it. Yeah. But there's other stuff in there, you know. And See, this is a whole world. Yeah. You even know the weights, and you can just pick it up it's and tell. It's supposed to smell or something a little different, and it it gets me every time. <laughs> I just changed this thing. <laughs> oh man! All right, that's a lot on propane. Now, right. I'm, hung- now I'm hungry. Yeah, right. It's time for steak. Where, what kind of steak did you have? We bought a New York strip. A I th- New York strip, inch and a half cut. That's my cheese. Yeah, ginormous. Hello, somebody just spent a lot of money on yeah, Father's Day. Right. Yeah, beef's like four hundred dollars a was, pound. It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, it's out of hand. So I'm glad there's leftovers. So I'll eat on it. it was out of hand. <laughs> well, I just put uh, five gallons of gasoline in my car today. The Maxima that runs on premium. <laughs> You have a twenty-year-old car that runs. You can on, switch that propane. over. To, you probably could switch that maximum over to propane, buddy. <laughs> I'm about to. After that, jeez. All right, let's get to some questions. First question: 
what was the verse? Uh, what was that verse about divorce? Are you saying divorce is not allowed? Are, aren't there circumstances circumstances in which people are allowed to get divorced? Yeah, the scripture that I read about divorce was from Matthew 19. It's verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus was being kind of cornered by the Pharisees, and they wanted his take on the law, particularly Moses' allowance for divorce. And they said, is divorce permissible was their question. He, he responds, so I read his response. Have you not read, and he's talking about Moses, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So he kind of, he reiterates two genders and he's going to go to the one flesh union. He says, therefore, because they were made male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, leave and cleave is kind of the phraseology. And the two shall become one flesh. One plus one equals one in biblical math. Two people become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so, I, my point in raising this was not to make a comment on divorce, but rather uh, to point out that Jesus acknowledged God's design of family, that there was this one flesh union designed by God um, in marriage, um, and that husband and wife are meant to be together for a lifetime. And as I was standing in the pulpit, I had no doubt that someone would wonder, someone would ask, hey, what about, what, what comment are you actually making on divorce? So, uh, yeah. The Bible is extremely practical at many levels. And so the question, is divorce allowed? Um, Divorce, I would say, is acknowledged as a practical reality by Moses, Jesus, and Paul. Uh, It's not encouraged at any juncture, uh, but the Bible is deeply practical and and so divorce is, is talked about um, in both the Old and New Testaments as a real possibility. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, in verses 10 and 11, he says really clearly, to the married, I give this command. And then parenthetically, you'll have to open your Bibles and see what I mean by this. So it's 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. To the married I give this command, and then parenthetically, not I, but the Lord. And so Paul is actually quoting Jesus here, and he wants us to know that. Know this. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So it's interesting to, to read Paul's take on this. He says a wife must not separate from her husband, uh, but if she does, she must remain unmarried. And so what's in view here is the recognition that divorce happens. Uh, Paul's saying, uh, according to the Lord's command, I, I give you this command, not I, but the Lord, uh, you should not get divorced. But if you do, and so there's this really practical reality, if you do, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. And so, no, I... Um, Certainly, uh, divorce is is a real, um, uh, although not desired, it it happens in the world as people uh, wound one another uh, emotionally and relationally and um, rather than treating one another with love, and so sometimes divorce happens. If it happens, um, then there are are directives in the New Testament about how to handle that, and even... In fact, there were directors in the Old Testament about how to handle that. Um, And so, um, yeah, there are circumstances in which divorce is understood. I always say to people when I'm meeting with them pastorally, I can, you know, if they're saying to me, I I don't feel like I can stay married, I I, I will often say, what I hear you saying is you cannot bear your spouse's sin any longer. And, and I have certainly met with folks that um, the sin of their spouse was crushing them and, and, um, and they felt like they had to uh, separate from their spouse um, because of the suffering that, that was being inflicted on them and in many cases upon their children as well. So, clear as mud. Uh, so the question I have is um, later on in 
uh, yeah, in Matthew, Matthew 19. 19. Yeah. Um, the, the Pharisees pressed Jesus more, and Jesus responds with, uh, with an exception, known as the exception clause or yeah. whatever, right? right? Yeah. So how do, and the exception is, uh, the word he uses pornea, sexual immorality. Yeah. Um, how do you yeah, so, so nuance that? Yeah, I typically don't personally see that Christ is offering an exception here or, for example, a reason that divorce is allowable. I don't actually think Jesus is commenting on that. So let's read really quick, carefully. Matthew 19, verse 7. Um, um, Jesus says in verse 6, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And then in verse 7, they said, the Pharisees say, then why did Moses allow for divorce? And Jesus answers in verse 8, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So he states it again. God's design is that no one should get divorced. It's, it's one flesh union uh, till death do your part. And then in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Then the disciples, look at the disciples' response. If that's the situation between a husband and a wife, if there's no back door, it's better not to get married. So we have to read 9, verse 9, in the light of what, how the disciples under, uh, the Pharisees under, the disciples rather understood it, they realized Jesus saying there's no back door to marriage. There's no permissible reason to get divorced. Now, again, divorce happens. Paul acknowledges it. Jesus acknowledges it. It happens when we're hard-hearted and can no longer bear our spouse's sin against us, whatever that may be. But verse nine of Matthew 19, he's not. He's not saying this is a reason you can get divorced if your spouse has committed sexual immorality. And the Protestant church has interpreted that way forever, and it's, it's not an accurate interpretation. What he's saying is, it's in- Wait, the Protestant church has interpreted it which way? That, that verse nine is a reason it's all, you're allowed to get divorced. Okay, right. So you're married, your spouse commits, commits adultery, adultery, or- any other yeah. sexual sin under the name pornea, right? right. Um, then that could be a grounds for divorce. You're saying that's historically what Protestant, well, what the Protestant it, church has interpreted this church yeah. verse to be. But, but I don't think that's an accurate reading in the scripture right. given, given the disciples' response. If that's the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. They're saying, if you're saying there's no back door, and he stated it twice, verse six and verse eight, it was not this way from the beginning. What God's joined together, let no man separate, not even the people that are in the marriage. It's, it's not appropriate for them to. Now, again, it, we can acknowledge divorce happens. People are unable to bear one another in, in some, sometimes. But in verse nine, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. What Jesus is actually describing there is that it's entirely possible for you to divorce somebody and the one flesh union still stands. So the, the biblical math of one plus one equals one, um, one man, one woman for life. What God has joined together, there's literally a spiritual joining together that takes place in marriage. And he's saying that you can get divorced in, except if sexual immorality, immorality took place. That's what breaks the one flesh union. Adultery breaks the one flesh union. And marries another woman, commits adultery. In other words, he's saying in remarriage, if you're not careful, you're going to get divorced from somebody because you couldn't bear their sin for whatever reason. And there's been no sexual immorality. You're going to go break the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. And the disciples respond, gosh, if that's the situation uh, between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. In other words, if there's no back door, if so we need to read this passage really closely here. Jesus states twice that what God's joined together, let no man separate. He's not giving it a reason that divorce is permissible when he mentions sexual immorality. He's actually saying, if you're not careful in your remarrying other people, you're going to break the seventh commandment. So as a pastor, yeah. uh, you have, because you're saying, um, you're saying that they are acknowledging that divorce 
is yes. a reality. It's a reality. Moses, so, Jesus, so as a pastor, Paul. if you're holding, you know, fast to that uh, interpretation of the scripture and someone comes to you and is like, and they're part of the church, they're married yeah. and, you know, they've had adultery, that type of level of, of hurt. Yeah. Um, do you, obviously like you, we try to save marriages, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. but you know, you've, I'm sure you've experienced and pastored and counseled couples who have gotten divorced. Um, yeah. Is it ever anything that you, you say this may be the best route? Um, after Divorce? after the entirety of the counseling, and it's yeah, not going to work. I, like, absolutely, I've seen situations in which I thought it was wiser because of the immaturity of the two people. In other words, they were doing so much damage to one another yeah. that they get divorced. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's rare. It's it's never something I want to encourage. Of course, um, but and I don't mean to say maybe a strong word like encourage, but maybe that you're you're okay with it as a pastor and, you know, well, it's, um, I always say, I, you know, if someone says, I just can't bear it anymore. And I've seen people, you know, go into the hospital because the strain of their marriage was so hard. Yeah. The stress of it, or kids are suffering or there's violence in the home in those situations, you know, who am I to tell someone they must remain married? We want to be really careful there. Um, because the grace of God covers, um, the sin that all our sin, and if we're saying, if someone says to me, I can't bear the sin of my spouse anymore, absolutely, I'm going to be patient and kind and gracious. What I'm on guard against is 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 saying that the scripture says something it doesn't say, and Jesus does not give a reason, a specific reason about when divorce is permissible. He doesn't do that. He's He's not saying, oh, you can get divorced if your spouse commits adultery. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that be really careful because you guys are getting divorced and the one flesh union is still in place. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you must remain unmarried if you get divorced or be reconciled to your spouse because the one flesh union is still there. Yeah. Does that change if it's not from a believer to a, if it's not a believing couple or one, cause like later on somewhere, in, I think in around that verse, he talks about, uh, if the unbelieving spouse divorces the yeah. believing spouse, then that's brother or sister is no longer bound. What yeah. is he talking about there? Yeah. So he, so Matt is referencing first Corinthians seven again. Typically what I say about marriage, I mean, Marriage was Garden of Eden. It's designed by yep. God, uh, and the let's let's say the the design of marriage is is in the interest of both believers and non-believers. The one flesh union is good uh, for humanity, uh, regardless of whether or not somebody recognizes Christ as Savior. So it's not just a Christian thing. I would say, I, yep. you know, so redefining marriage, I think, is is not good for culture, and we've seen that happen here in America. I, I think that it's one man, one woman for life, and that's in the best interest of of culture, regardless of whether or not you're a believer. Um, Paul does talk about how in 1 Corinthians 7, it, it was the case or is the case from time to time that a believer is married to a non-believer. And if the non-believer doesn't want to stay married to the believer, uh, that that person is no longer bound. In other, <clears throat> But I think you would have a difficult case, make, you'd have a difficult job making the case that that means you're now free to go marry whomever you want. Yeah. So, and we could talk further about sure. that. I no, that's good. That's good. Um, we can go on to the next one. I think. I think the the main part of what that question was asking uh, was you answered. Um, so, l- just for clarity, yeah. let's make sure that we end on the note of grace and God's goodness. Mm. Uh, for you know, if you're divorced, and I grew up in, in a divorced home, uh, yeah, God's grace is greater than all our sin. No one gets married wanting to get divorced. And so yeah. it's, it's lamentable. I know that it's, it's heartache, full of heartache and difficulty, but God's grace is greater. And he, I've seen him redeem my own family um, countless times, uh, families in our congregation. So I want to end on the note of grace. Um, God's grace is greater, and, um, and we can expect God to do works of restoration and reconciliation in our lives. Amen. 
Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. What do we say to people who think that there are more than two genders? Thanks for touching on the difficult subject. Yeah, so I was talking about um, Genesis 1 and 2, and I read Genesis 1, 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so I, I just, in passing, noted that there are uh, only two genders. And I note that I would not have had to note that five years ago. Maybe five, but you certainly wouldn't have ten. Yeah. Or fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, we live in a time that, you know, there's a... The know, last five years has gone really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. Things have escalated quickly. Yeah. Breakneck speed. Yeah, I mean, so... Um, I took the opportunity to point out that there are, you know, biblically there are two genders, and I just saw this morning um, that the United States Swim Association uh, just decided that you must compete in the gender you were assigned at birth unless you transitioned to your current gender before the age of 12. So if you underwent gender reassignment before puberty, then you can compete in the gender you currently have. What on earth is Wh going what on? What is going on? Right. <laughs> right. We're going to give children who are under the age of who 12? Pre-pubescent. Does surgery? that mean surgery? That or, statement, do you think that means? I, medical. I there's don't pills know what that, it means. There's, yeah, there's pills that hormone, hormone blockers and yeah. all this kind of stuff that's coming on the scene. Anyway. It's, Wow. So I, I thought it was a moment of sanity, really, uh, in, a, in, in a culture that is full of confusion, uh, to hear the United States Swim Association, whatever that is, I, I'm getting the name wrong, acknowledge that it's not fair for post-pubescent right. uh, folks, for men yeah, particularly, right. to, to compete in female sports. And you, there was a Penn State athlete that cleaned up with all the medals when he he shifted into female competition. So, all right, so biblically there are two genders, and the question here is what do we say? And first, I would say something like, I have no doubt gender dysphoria is a reality. Dysphoria just means confusion. Uh, we live in a world of confusion, which is authored by the father of lies. And so I, Confusion's a part of the enemy's work in the world. It doesn't surprise me. It's, it's no surprise that this world is having trouble describing something as basic as male and female. It's just a part of, I think, God, the enemy of God, Satan, to confuse and, and do damage to humanity and created order. So I, I think we need to acknowledge Rather than stick our head in the sand, rather than be angry, uh, I think we need to acknowledge when people are saying they're confused th about what they're feeling about themselves, and yeah. I don't think it serves us well to, to deny what people are telling us about how they're feeling regarding their gender. We can disagree with them. I'm just saying, confusion's real, and... We're, we're free to acknowledge that and, and can even say that the confusion is contra-biblical, that, that the light of God's truth tells us there's, there's only two genders. Yeah. You did a good job at the last question um, talking about why marriage in general, non-believing, yeah. is good for society, yeah. is good for all yeah. societies, right? Like yeah. raising your kids up in a family, that family stays right. together, like that's good. Uh, that's going to produce good. How would you talk? How would you guys talk about that um, with someone talking about genders? Like, I, look, I get that the Bible says there's two genders in Genesis, but I don't believe the Bible. W what is? What's the big deal here for society? Why can't we have very fluid genders? Why can't we have lots of different? Yeah, I think. Like, like, and so remember, this gender confusion is is fairly new, and so but there right. is some data if. Uh, it, there's a book out titled When Harry Became, Harry Became Sally. I've read the book. Uh, it's, it's a Christian book or not? It's a faith-based book. 
and it was you'll have trouble finding it because Amazon removed it. Yeah, because it's concert. I'm think I'm remembering. Yeah, so Amazon won't sell it. I have a copy of it, and you can include some information about counseling out of. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, I'm losing it right now. Sorry. When you when you are counseling someone who is same sex attracted or is you can counsel them out of right and it included conversion uh, therapy. Conversion therapy is that that's, the, that's what is it the is. buzzword right? Yeah. And I think Amazon banned anything that had to do with that. Yeah, well, and conversion therapy is actually about uh, someone's um, sexual yes desires right. more than their gender, right. but it's the same type right. of notion. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the book is titled When Harry Became Sally. And the fascinating thing about the book is when it's talking about uh, gender transition is that you know, Johns Hopkins University, a secular university, was the leader in um, these surgeries and then stopped doing them because the data indicated there is some hard data on this. Post-surgical transsexuals uh, show a long-term increase in suicide attempts and psychiatric inpatient care. My point here is that those who have gender dysphoria, it's not as simple in in their mental health care as helping them transition. And that's what's going on with parents in these prepubescent kids. They're at a loss. They're saying, oh, my kid's uh, born a girl but says she wants to be a boy and and I don't want to put undue strain on them mentally and I I don't want to hurt them mentally. Well, the hard reality of the data coming out is that transitioning kids, it does not relieve. It doesn't fix their mental health troubles and struggles. In fact, the data shows that most children age out of their dysphoria. Not all, but most children uh, who who are diagnosably dysphoric, confused about their gender, and, and that's a very small number of kids, uh, they do grow out of it post-adolescence. Most kids do. In fact, I've, I've met with people in our congregation who said that they had some gender confusion early in life and then later in their teenage years, in their 20s, it settled down for them, and they were able to wrap their arms. They became more at home in their own bodies is what they were saying. I've actually heard people in our church say, I am so glad that I dealt with that 20 years ago rather than today. Correct. Because I might mm-hmm. have had a very different experience. Because 20 years ago... Just take a girl, for example. Yeah, the advice wasn't... Oh, you're a tomboy? Right, yeah. Then you should was, wear a binder. You should get your genitalia changed. Exactly. You and, should take these hormone drugs. Right, and it was... Yeah, their, their comments were, I'm, I'm so grateful that it... You know, and, and a fear for those who were... Str- not, you know, not a deep struggle, but just a... Where am I? Where is this all going to yeah. land for me? You yeah. know, as a as a adolescent female or man, you know, kind of working, working through some things. And the, I I just, the whole thing is, is if you look at it, even from a secular perspective, it, which is, um, not always great either. I'm not, I'm not endorsing secular. Like, let's look at things from that. But what it's one of the only psychological, um, issues, mental health issues, that the prescription is to go ahead and do what you feel is going to be good for you. So you would never counsel a bulimic to keep throwing up or in right. an anorexic. To, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You don't, you, yeah, you're right. You, you don't look great. You, you do need to keep mm-hmm. starving, starving yourself. Yeah. Or there's, there's, there's even more extreme mental disorders where people, <laughs> people hate their arm. And they want to remove their arm from their body. They, mentally, they're in a position where their arm is, is causing them this mental anguish where they feel like, I know it sounds strange, but it exists. And it's rare. It's it, rare. It, it, it exists. It's about as rare as people traditionally until our modern last few years thought about the, that they should have surgery to change their gender. No doctor would go and cut that person's arm off. In fact, it's against the law to do that. You, just because somebody says, I don't want my right arm anymore, a doctor can't remove it. Body, integrity, identity, disorder. Correct. Yeah. It exists. It's rare. It's rare. But it's, my point is, yeah. in the, the world that we're in of 
sexual so much with sexuality and intertwined with gender and this fluidity stuff i mean it's just it is a it is a a um mind-boggling time yeah. and at the same time there is a billion dollar industry yeah. follow hmm. the money for well a billion dollar industry for your gender reveal parties which didn't exist when I had when we were having children. So we're we're billions and billions of dollars telling families to, you know, have pink balloons or blue balloons or cakes or whatever to identify and then a whole other (laughs) (laughs) part of it saying that that isn't actually possible. Mm -hmm. You can't actually know the gender of your child until your child expresses their gender. So you have a, a whole nother group of people saying, I don't I won't assign a gender until my child picks it yeah. at some p- point in there. I'm like, what? <laughs> how do we, how do we make our way through this? I think your, your point, the fact that the swim yeah. has to come out with that kind of stuff. And we're seeing division one athletes and we're, I mean, yeah. what a, 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 crazy world we find ourselves in yeah you know i um i don't know the science on it i just know my experience with my three kids but at a very young age around the same age all three of them began to identify moms and dads Mm -hmm. not me and my wife but other people as moms and dads like Mm -hmm. one of the first of in in my from what i'm watching in their development they are starting to see that oh there are women and there are men and they are different. And that seems like a good developmental marker, I would think. Yeah. Um, and so the, the idea that maybe a parent in, modern, in our modern day culture would say, okay, now no, honey, um, you, you can't just say that that person is a mom or a dad. We don't know, you know, is like, wow, that seems like it would be really confusing for mm-hmm. a one-year-old. Right. What what I you know we could go on and on about how crazy and frustration it, it frustrating it is. What's really sad to me is I feel like in all of this it actually diminishes the role of women. Yeah. Who have who right. who we have you know who have been fighting for equality. Right. And in all sorts of different areas and a voice and a, and even a uniqueness a, a femininity. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. Um, supported and encouraged and it, it just it's like whatever ground had been taken yeah. is now back under attack because yeah. the yeah. truth is is that the medals are not going to the girls in connecticut yeah. high schools now right. they're going to boys who are running as girls right that just right. it's a blatant attack yeah you know, when a transitioned woman can become the, the woman of the year for Time Magazine, mm-hmm. I mean, that just, it, it's a blatant attack on femininity, femininity yeah. on moms. I mean, I've seen some stuff of, you know, we're getting rid of the word mom and mother in the midst of all this, and we're calling it a birthing person. Yeah, no, not going to do that. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we... We need to, there is some, I think, you know, where we can, with grace and humility and love, stand up to some of what is going on. And I don't exactly know how that works, but it's a, I I feel for young women particularly, I mean, I have teenage daughters Mm -hmm. in all of this mess. I mean, Kelly, you've got, you know, young 20s girls. I mean, it has been a particularly challenging and assaulting time on on young women. Yeah, I think culture is hardest on its children. Our culture, the American culture, is hardest on its children and of the two genders, uh, hardest on are young girls. Yeah, it's girl. it's brutal, and uh, and man, I now more than ever, I'd want my children in the church. I'd want my children in a place that is telling the truth, um, and is cheering on kids, um, and and affirming uh, femininity and masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I'll close with this thought. A thought. So. <clears throat> Matt, your question about what what could be said just from a sociological or anthropological position. Right. 
say you're having a conversation with someone yeah. who doesn't believe right. the Bible. Right. And, oh, back to what we were really talking about. There, there, <laughs> there is no, data. There's data coming out. The data from Johns Hopkins University is, I think it's 20 plus years old, how these gender reassignment isn't really relieving mental health. Hmm. And then there's also data that most people who have gender dysphoria are moving through it by the time they're in their late teens, early 20s, and they're coming to terms with their with their gender. And, and I should also say, these numbers we're talking about, those who have a, a real dysphoria, are one in 13,000 males, one in 34,000 females. Interesting. Yeah. So, so going back to John's point about women, right? Right. It's even more rare, yeah. and yet the attack is so yeah. blatant. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, it makes me so sad because there are feminine boys and there are masculine women right there you know what i mean like or lean i'm not saying that there's women who are men that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that they're you know the idea of a tomboy which that phrase probably should go away but that idea you know that and culture creates some of that well you know you like classical music and you're a boy or you like to play aggressive sports and you're a girl like we won't allow that anymore you're either in our in the fluidity, we've actually made it created some for people. Yeah, yeah, we've created some poles rather than just relaxing. So, uh, so here's my final thought. I would encourage compassion. So, if you the original question was, what do we do with people that say there's more than two genders, and we're meeting with this in our public school system, mm. I would encourage compassion and gentleness. <clears throat> we're actually not going to win the day by getting angry. Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to find we're not going to gain listeners, and we're not going to exercise influence. Unless we're gentle and compassionate and slow to become angry. Uh, confusion already exists and we need to be caring in our efforts. Let's, let's, not, let's not escalate this inappropriately. Um, so let's, let's meet the cultural confusion with gentleness and confidence. The second thing I would say is I don't think rigid stereotypes is the mm-hmm. answer. Some in the Christian community are saying we need to, we need to grow more rigid and talk and and there's kind of this uh, kind of a back to masculinity and, and, and some of that is a rigidity. Boys do these things, girls do these things. It, and I don't think rigid, rigid stereotypical um, is really what's going to help. I think there's a deeper biblical reality to male and female. So for example, I would say things like um, it's, it, it's of utmost importance that men, given the biblical account of Genesis 1 through 3, reject passivity, accept responsibility. Now, girls need to reject passivity and accept responsibility as well. But there's something in the fallen nature of humanity that the call upon humanity for masculinity is to reject passivity and accept responsibility. The call upon, the unique call upon women is to avoid usurpation, usurping authority, and to embrace the suitable helper role, which I worked really hard to say that's not a demeaning title. if you missed the Sunday sermon, make sure you go back and listen to that. But complementarity has a beauty to it that gender fluidity does not. Oh, amen. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to say it. There is a beauty to be had out there in complementarity that is available in Scripture that that doesn't require rigid gender roles but does acknowledge viva, rigid viva, stereotypical gender, gender roles. Thank you. Yeah. You know, boys can play with trucks and girls play with only dolls. Well, that, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So, you know, boys can play with dolls, girls can play with trucks and guns or whatever. But then there is this, there is this biblical narrative that unfolds where uh, men are laying their lives down. They're initiating and girls lay their lives down too. Women do that and they initiate. That's fine. But the, I, I think what I would say is the call, the unique call biblically to men is to be the first to serve. Mm-hmm. In fact, you, you mentioned, John, my, my children and their age. Uh, my kids are you know, appropriately wrestling with complementarity and egalitarian theology. And that's great. That's going to happen. Uh, they need to decide what, uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit what they believe scripture is calling and so they asked me dad you know define complementarity and and a couple years back i said well it means i serve first 
I lead in laying my life down for my family. Race to the back of the line. Race. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But I do think that there is a beauty and complementarity that popular culture is completely missing out on, yeah. where men and women bless each other. Viva la difference. And thrive. Right. Yeah. And thrive in their roles, yes. right? Like there's a thriving element yeah. to it yeah. that would benefit society. Yes. That's good. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is a tough one. What is wise? I don't like my father or mother because of things that happened when I was young, and now I am nervous about their interactions with my children. What should I do? How do I honor them if I do not trust them? That's hard. Yeah. That's a really hard question. It's so hard when our family of origin continues to complicate life, um, but it's also all too common. That happens a lot. Um, yep. and, and I would say, first of all, you're smart to ask what is wise. Uh, God wants to give us wisdom according to James 1. And the consequences of sin can stretch for many years and can affect multiple generations. And we need to be really careful we don't uh, continue to expose our kids if, uh, to the family of origin sin that we were exposed to, that we want to break cycles. And so I, I think that's smart. I also think you, you can, it's brilliant that you distinguish between trust and honor. We can keep the fifth commandment, honoring mom and dad, and uh, have boundaries. Have boundaries, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we can honor them. We can esteem them as God ordained. We can um, enjoy the God given role of mom and dad, keeping the fifth commandment. And still exercise wisdom. And if that means distrusting them at some level, uh, not uh, subjecting our children or our, ourselves to continued sin patterns, that's fine too. That's completely doable. And I just I had some quick thoughts. Um, how do we honor them if we distrust them? And the first thing I would say is find something good to say about them. And, I'll, you know, my father's passed away. Uh, he wasn't a believer except for maybe the last six months of his life as he was nearing death. And so there were times in my life when it was hard for me to know how to honor him because I had a lot of wounds, a lot of baggage. So, but I worked really hard to find something honorable about my father's life. Um, my dad was a good provider. My mother never had to, although they were divorced, she never had to fight him for the money, per se. He, he kept his uh, part of the divorce uh, decree and, and there was no back and forth and that was very, very honorable. And there, so find what it, maybe it's he's, your, spouse, your father or mother, they're fun loving or they're available or they're smart or whatever. They have a good sense of, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But find something you can honor and, uh, and that may take some prayer, but something you can celebrate about your parents, that's one way. Uh, and then say it to them. Make sure to verbalize it. Mom, dad, man, I really appreciate how fun loving you are. Whatever it is. And it may seem superficial to you, but you're, this is your attempt to try to bless them, to try to keep the fifth commandment, to esteem them at some level, even if you've got baggage from your family of origin. And then do something nice for them. Demonstrate that you have a desire to honor them. Maybe that's listen to them. Um, join them in a project, visit them, make them a meal. It doesn't have to be expensive stuff, you know. Uh, but you're, you're making overtures without putting yourself in harm's way. And I, I realize there could be a family out there where you can't even move close to them. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, and that's rare that if your parents are so toxic that you can't move close to them and, um, in any sense of the word. And then lastly, John, you brought it up, don't apologize for boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have healthy parents and still need to put boundaries yeah. in. Like you could have no child wounds or hurt, really, right. or you know, like major stuff, but mm -hmm. it still need to say, hey, you know, we're the parents, you're the grandparents. Right. Yeah. Here's your role. Let us make our own mistakes. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think in t especially in terms of your chill, if you're nervous. I mean, I think God gives parents a a check in their spirit when things that when. There's times when we're over nervous, <laughs> right? And there's times when we're overprotective, clearly. But there's also times when, if we are feeling something or we're nervous about something, even if it's a grandparent or whatever, we should realize our first and foremost, our responsibility is to raise, protect, disciple, care for, and point our children to Christ. That's not our job with our parents. Right. Our job with our parents is to honor them and sure, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, whatever, point them to Jesus. But our primary responsibility is to care, to for, that, our kiddos, care right. for our kiddos. And so we need to be careful that in an attempt to 
listen or respect or honor, we diminish our role as a parent to our children. I mean, a stupid example, I'll give just a quick one is we had a, a family member who's going through a bunch of health stuff and we in was driving and we did not feel comfortable with our kids in the car with that person. And it was, and they did a lot of driving and they loved to put the, you know, they had had some accidents and some tickets and eventually they, they got better. They were, they figured some stuff out and they got through it and they were driving just fine. But there was a period of time where we had to say, you're not, uh, our kids can't be with you in the car. It's a great example. And, and it was hard. That's tough. It, it was awkward. Tough. It was hard. It was like, well, do we tell them directly or do we right. go behind? <laughs> do we... We spent like a couple months like <laughs> or do you shuttling always... around like, oh, I got the keys, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. you know, <laughs> and then we finally had to be like, here's the deal until, yeah. until we get to a place here. But, and it was like, we, 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 Karen and I finally said to each other, we're like, what if something happened? And we sat here going, well, we just didn't want him to feel bad. So we nope. never said anything. Right, right. And then... <laughs> Right. something tragic happened and it was it all went fine it was no big deal it was accepted just fine and we we got through it and eventually yeah. you know eventually things changed and i'm that's so a good glad. example of like when you and carrie were like hey let's just go there for a second what if worst right. case scenario and we just then it's like crystal clear right then it's like oh there's only one path here like i'm gonna we're gonna talk mm-hmm. we're gonna explain the situation right instead of yeah <laughs> Instead of, you know, I already got my keys. And, yeah. Hey, you know, you know, my car's actually the last right. one in the driveway. Right. So I was like, how many, how, for how many years am I going to do that? <laughs> yeah, no, that would be exhausting. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go to our final question. Uh, last one. I love the theology of the family, but struggled with the idea that the church is a family. I have so much baggage when it comes to the church. What do I do with all my church hurt? Church hurt. Yeah. Uh, first of all, there's minor hurt, and then there's major hurt. And, and so I don't want to diminish. Some hurts got, I mean, what's coming out of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, I mean, where uh, women were, um, a crime, crimes were committed against women and then covered up. Ugh. I mean, that's major church hurt. Those are felony level church Ugh. hurts. So, but and then there are minor church hurts where someone's gossiping about you or saying something unkind. And so, not all, the first thing I want to say is not all church hurt is equal. Uh, church hurt is common though, uh, because we're a collection of sinners. Hmm. And so grace is needed. And uh, there's no um, perfect family on earth, and there's no perfect church. And so uh, sin happens in the church, and we sin against each other. And um, the first thing I would say is um, in order to get over that, uh, process it, uh, how do the question is, what do I do with all my church hurt? Man, I would acknowledge it. I would acknowledge my, I would name it. I'd find someone I can process it with. Uh, in, in finding someone to process it with, you need to find someone who's not going to borrow your anger. Um, and that may need to be a professional, depending on how the level of the hurt. I mean, um, but it's, it's really easy to sit down with somebody and they just get you all that more worked up and angry. Mm-hmm. They, they take your anger and they amplify it. That's not really who we need in processing our hurt. We need someone that will hear it, reflect it back to us, acknowledge it with us, uh, care for us, listen to us in it, but they're not going to amplify our anger for us. We, I have enough of my own anger. I don't need people to help me amplify it. So, uh, But acknowledge it and then get ready to release it. Uh, and release it is another word for forgive which doesn't mean you're letting this person off the hook. Hmm. Uh, you're going to talk to God. If, if, if after acknowledging it, you, you can't immediately move to forgiveness, begin talking to God about it. Say, God, I know I need to forgive this person. I want to release them into your trust, your care. Uh, I can't trust them yet. And so you're just talking to God about that. And then if possible, there's a reconciliation step. Uh, where you speak to the person, you tell them that you're hurt. Uh, you may need somebody there, a referee, to oversee that process, um, and then embrace restoration. So, in again, church 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 hurt varies greatly. So, I move through those steps really quickly. But sometimes this can take years, um, and we need to be careful with that how we do it. But we need to we need to move through it. Um, I like to call the church God's minivan. <laughs> it's 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 the vehicle by which he's carrying us to salvation. It's not very sexy. <laughs> there's some great moments in the minivan on the road, and then there's yeah. some yeah, painful some ugly, moments, right. and there's some 
hard moments. And I often think too is, is sometimes, and I'm not talking about major hurts and I'm not diminishing the, the, the fact that, you know, churches can be really unhealthy and, uh, and hard for people. But I do think sometimes our mindset when we go into community, any kind of community, but particularly the church community of what is our mindset for this community. And I think sometimes our, um, some of the historical things about the church that we go to experience and consume something rather than give and and participate, Matt. I think of the times when when you've talked about like when we sing out, our our giving to we're giving to each other at, at some level. We're not just consuming something or right. listening to something. And I think some folks uh, have a hard time because their expectation, their expectations for what's going to happen, are impossible to actually. Uh, um, happen you know like they their expectation for what the community is going to be like or um i use the phrase sometimes that when you enter a community are you thinking um the community for me or are you thinking me for the community like what can i give and what what can i do and how can i participate and sometimes when we we do too much of the other where it's just the community for me we're always going to get hurt. Yeah. We just keep setting ourselves up for hurt, hurt, hurt. And I, again, I, I want to frame it. Yes, there are times when people act stupid and you've been giving and serving and you're, you have fair expectations and you've been treated poorly. That's not what I'm talking about. I just see that there are times when our expectations for a program or a message or, or whatever or an experience in a group or whatever on a Sunday morning just the experience and um, can be uh, a little bit off. And so we just keep feeling hurt. We keep feeling uh, let down. We mm. keep having a bad experience. Um, and, and some of it is on, on us. Yeah. All right. I want to end with this real quick. Back to your minivan comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so yesterday, that, that book I was telling you guys about, I got for Father's Day from the kids. A uh-huh. little book about all, you know, 50 pages of, you know, you're like, the, one of the questions or one of the, the things was, um, uh, if you were a car, dad, you would be a, <laughs> and one kid was like, you know, Corvette or whatever. And I was like, yeah. And the other kid was something else, awesome and fast. And then my oldest was like a minivan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on, guys. I know I maybe need to drop a few, but come on. like <laughs> hey, what a minivan. And, and, and Jeff. It, my wife, Debra, she was like, wait, 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 Rowan, tell him, tell him why you said that. And he said, because you carry the family. Oh, nice. I was like, oh man, I'm deep, a minivan. Man. Deep, bro. I'm going to rock that minivan. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, one of the things was, dad, you know, you make me laugh when you scream at people in the minivan. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God. I believe the scriptures are primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only our faith, but your faith and our, my, what? Somebody's faith getting strengthened. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Prophecy.